Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, from the, our readings this morning, maybe you get an idea of what we're going for. And you see the title of our, of our message this morning, Idol Factory, how we are all um, our own factories of the idols that we worship. But to set that up, I want to talk about a couple other things first. Um, in these here United States, as we say, we take our law and order very seriously. Very seriously, right? Um, and we haven't played our favorite game for a couple of weeks. You're my favorite game in yours. Who dis? I'm going to give you an easy one this morning. Who's this guy? Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. Okay, so uh, one of the pillars of American history and law and order, Teddy Roosevelt. Okay, so he has this quote right here that I want to uh, show you. He says, No man is above the law, and no man is below it. Nor do we acknowledge our man's when we ask him his permission to obey. I just blew that. Uh, Nor do we ask any man's permission when we ask him to obey it. So no one's above the law, no one's below the law, and we don't ask your opinion. We just say this is the law. You know, we make laws and things like that. So, okay, now, talking about law for a second, I want you to take a guess about our federal law code. How many federal laws are there in the U.S. legal code? Does anybody have a guess? Let me give you a few, a few hints. Um, we first started writing down our federal code in 1926. There's your civics lesson for this morning. Fit in a single volume. Um, by 1980, there were 50 volumes of our U.S. Uh, legal code. Um, Congress approves approximately 125 laws every year. They say it covers 5,000 federal crimes. So now, um, anybody got a, a guess for how many, how many laws we have in our federal code? Might be. 100,000 million, maybe? You know what? And according to several sources, and I really spent some time, well, not a lot of time, but I spent some time looking for this, they can't be counted. Nobody knows how many laws we have in our federal code. Uh, so that's our number. We don't, we, we don't know for sure. You might think that's crazy, um, but what's even crazier are some of the actual laws that are on our books. And instead of doing the federal law, I thought, you know what, it would be kind of fun to say some crazy laws that exist here in Wisconsin. According to the website whoknew.com, here's a few um, laws that are on Wisconsin code that are here for us to ponder. This, number one, it's illegal to serve margarine in Wisconsin. Uh, this is a thing. From 1925 to 1967, margarine was banned from the state of Wisconsin, for sale in the state of Wisconsin. Maybe some of you uh, had some of those, what they call them, oleo runs, right, for, to Illinois to, to smuggle margarine across the border. Because there's one thing for sure. If you tell people they can't do something, they're going to try to find a way to do it, right? So we got, but this is still the law. Um, it's been in place since 1895, still stands today. It's illegal for restaurants to serve margarine. Did you know this? Um, unless a customer specifically requests it. Um, Governor Warren Knowles called margarine the yellow stick from Satan himself. <laughs> it's also a big no-no in prisons, hospitals, schools, or any other state institution. All right, so that's number one. Number two, it's illegal to not give livestock the right-of-way. Uh, Wisconsin Statute 346.21 says literally you must move over. Get it? The move. All right, we'll move on. This one's crazy. Um, number three, businesses may only base their hours on central time. This is a thing, a thing on our books. Um, number 175.09 says this. You know, I say for every warning label that's on something, there's a great backstory. What's the backstory to this one? I mean, were we confused about central time? I mean, ask Mel, the hours at her flower shop. Hey, whoa, whoa, are those central time or are those some kind of specific time or what is this? So, number four, I save the best for the last. 
Adultery in Wisconsin is a class one felony. You know, my friend said, if I include this one, I'm going to freak you out. And I said, you know, that's kind of my job to freak you guys out. So I'm going to freak you out a little bit. Wisconsin Statute 944.16, put into law in 1849. We became a state in 1848. So one year after we became a state, we put this into law. Class 1 fine means it's a $10,000 fine and or three years in prison. So those are some of the crazy ones. I mean, there's like a dozen more that just are unbelievable. This kind of, I thought, wow, did you know? Did you, who knew.com? All right, so having said that and knowing that there are so many federal laws that people don't even realize that are on the books, this guy wrote a book, his name is Harvey Silvergate, called Three Felons a Day. Three Felonies a Day. He says in his book, he says that everyone commits at least three felonies every day, not knowing. Three fel- I mean, if you sold margarine or ate margarine at a restaurant or at the school, that's a felony, all right? So you commit three felonies a day uh, by supper time. So there it is, three federal crimes every day. All right, so fellow felons, with, with that as a backdrop, now we're talking about the Ten Commandments a little bit today. We're going to be talking about a couple of them specifically. Um, with that as a backdrop of, of our, as our everyday lives, why do people get so upset with the idea that God gave us ten commandments? Just simply ten commandments. And actually, in Exodus 34, if you read it carefully, God calls those commandments, he says they're ten words. He doesn't say ten commandments. He says these are ten words for you to follow. Ironically, very few people, Christians or not, can actually list all of them or even some of them. So I thought it would be fun this morning to review um, maybe the first five. We've done this like maybe three or four years ago. I'll see if you guys remember this. Um, so commandment number one, everybody hold up one finger. Reuben, hold up one finger. Point to your eye and say, I am the Lord your God. And now you have to wag that finger. You shall have no idols. The youth group here. You shall have no idols. There it is. Number two. You take your pulse because it's a it's not it's a vein. That's what he said. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. See what see what we did there? It gets better, right? Number three, you gotta hold up like this, like the okay sign. No, Randy, like this. Like like this, like the the okay sign. Okay, you hold your pinky up in there. There it goes. Okay. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. See? Keep it holy. You like that one? Like that one? Number four, this is where the table changes. Those three are about God and the rest of our, our relationship with God. The next ones are about our relationships with other people. We'll talk about that in a second. Number four, fingers together. Actually, you got hold of, I'm going to teach you how to do this, and you're going to have to stand up and do this, because it's salute. Honor your mother and father. But you can't salute sitting down. That's the first thing they teach in basic training, so you've got to stand up. Your left hand, you have to hold it like this, a fist like this, and your thumb has to be down here, and it has to be down here at your side. Right hand up. Honor your mother and father. Say it. Lisa, that's the worst salute I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen some bad ones. That's getting better. All right. Sit back down. Number five. Um, Remember the old gladiator movies where they'd say, you know, either live or die? Number five is thou shalt not kill. Thumbs down, right? Thou shalt not kill like you're the gladiator. I'm going to show you one more because I'm going to talk about this one later. Number six. Thou shalt not, and you point to your heart, thou shalt not commit adultery. I didn't hear anybody say that. 
shall not commit adultery. Because adultery is a crime and a sin of the heart. That's why we point to our heart on that one. So, all right, so, now that's, that's the first six. I said five, you got a bonus one. I won't charge you for that, all right? So again, quick disclaimer about these commandments. If you go home and you look at those, there's actually two lists of commandments. Because in um, Exodus 34, Exodus 34, 28 uh, says that these are my ten words, ten commandments. Uh, but there's, it seems like there's more listed. So we've combined a couple in a couple of different ways and different um, denominations have done it differently. So you might, not, you might see a different list and say, what was Pastor talking about? Well, I'll just look at a different list and you'll find out what I was talking about. Okay, so now... The question is, why do we have such a difficult time obeying those commandments, and, and some of them in particular, um, and, but um, and actually accepting uh, these whole ideas in the first place? And the why is the same reason everybody goes to Illinois to get margarine, because um, with er, within every person, there's a spirit of rebellion, right? There's a spirit, a, a notion um, where we uh, fold our arms, hold our breath, say, um, you can't make me, or you can't stop me. Um, that all started in Genesis 3 with that serpent coming in, you know, and saying, ah, don't, don't listen to that guy. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. You can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can be whoever you want to be. You know, like Burger King says, have it your way. That's the mentality that we have. Of course, this is why we need a rule of law, like Roosevelt said. We, need, we don't ask for opinions. We don't ask for permissions. We just expect people to obey this rule of law. Without a rule of law that pertains to everyone, our homes, community, our country, our world would literally uh, plunge into chaos. So what are conscience? So we need a standard of, just, you know, of justice pointing us um, to the truth. So God tells us from the very beginning, from the very beginning, God says, worship me and worship me alone. Don't substitute anything else for God. He says, I am the Lord your God. And then he reminded the Egyptians at the time, or the, I mean, the Israelites at the time, that I am the God that took you out of Egypt. I am the God that is taking care of you. I am the God that is watching over you. I am the God that has your best interest in mind. Therefore, <clears throat> don't have any other idols. Don't replace me with anything else. Quick shout out to Jeff Shulo. He did a great job last week in my absence. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, he said in, that, in his talk that um, the Bible mentions the word marriage. A lot of times, many times. Well, a word that gets mentioned a little bit more than the word marriage is adultery. And that's what God says that we commit. We commit adultery when we put something in front of him. He called the Israelites the adulterous nation because they were, they were going to other gods. And we're going to talk about that now a little bit more. What those other gods look like, what those idols look like in our lives and how we have to guard against them getting into our lives how we have to guard against us replacing God with something else. And you know what Jesus said about adultery? He said, if you even think about it, you're already guilty. If we even think about replacing God with something else in our minds, we've already committed adultery against God. And that's the sixth commandment. It's a, command, it's the, it's a sin of the heart, right? So we've already given our heart someplace else instead of giving that to God. Now there's a spot in the Bible and I, I don't know about you guys, but you guys know me by now. I love reading the Bible, and I love reading it for what it says and what it is. Sometimes it's, it's you know, as we're reading the Bible, it's almost like we're, we're um, fulfilling an obligation or, or checking something off. We're not, we're not digesting words. We're not letting these words come off the page. We let them lay there flat on the page, and we don't really always understand exactly what God is trying to tell us and how he's trying to tell it to us. There's a spot in, um, 
in Isaiah that I'm going to show you in a second that, that almost reads like satire. It's almost like something that Mark Twain would write to make you giggle a little bit at the ridiculousness of what is happening and how it's going. But then all of a sudden God says, okay, now I want you to put yourself in those shoes and I want you to put yourself in that situation and I want you to tell me why you act just like the thing that you're laughing at, which is what satire is really all about, right? So too often, like I said, we just kind of let those words lay there on the page. Now, I I didn't want to give you the whole... Um, section of Isaiah 44. If you haven't read through Isaiah 44, that's kind of a part of the Bible that we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to. We pick and choose a couple verses out of Isaiah and we talk about them at different times at Christmas, at Easter, and things like that. But Isaiah is a powerful book. Um, So at the beginning of Isaiah 44, I don't have this on a slide for you, but we're going to get to it. He says, "Um, but now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. He says, the Lord who made you helps you, and, and helps you, says, don't be afraid. This is one of the places where in the Bible it says, do not be afraid. And then he says this in verse 6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. He says, I am the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. There is no other God, period. And then he says this. You don't think that? Well, who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power, right? This is all the things that have been going on through history here. And then here's where we're going with this. This is where I, I base this whole idea on. Uh, verse 9 says, How foolish are those who manufacture idols. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. And I'm going to submit to you, the jury, that we are those idol factories. We are those people that manufacture idols. Not in the way he's going to show us here in a second, but in our everyday life, the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we put our trust in, we are creating, we are manufacturing idols. Okay, so let's get to the cut to the chase here. Uh, Isaiah 44, I'm going to start in verse 14. Right before this, he talks about a blacksmith making different things. And now he's talking about the woodworker, the woodcarver making different things. Verse 14 says, He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and he makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. Verse 16, now he's he's doing part of the good part, right? And then it gets messed up. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and keep himself warm. Says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God. Like I said, this is almost like Mark Twain, carving an idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my God. And and then he goes on to say how, how ridiculous this thought is. But it's how true is it for us now? We're not carving out idols. We're not taking a piece of wood and we're not literally putting it on the pedestal in our house. But are we putting it on the pedestal of our heart? Are we putting it on the pedestal of our heart? Because this wood started out as something good, right? Started out as something good, something helpful, something useful. But, but it turned into something dangerous, something hazardous, um, something useless. 
And, and Jesus talks about this time and time and time and time and time again. How he, he says, you know, in, in this one time he was approached by this, by this rich young ruler. You know, that, that story is in a bunch of different places, so we kind of compile it all together. And just a uh, disclaimer, I'm not going to dig into that. We've done that before, and we can maybe get back to that story again about this rich young ruler. We, there's a lot to learn from that. But I want to break it down in a different way today. I want to talk about it maybe from a different angle. Um, because I want you to think about that exchange that they had there. You know, um, the, the rich young ruler goes to Jesus, stops him in his tracks. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There's a convoy going on. He says, oh, hold on one second. Can I just ask you a quick question? He says, I'm really curious. Well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus answers him. Jesus comes straight out. He doesn't say, I don't have time for this. You know, he answers them. And he lists some commandments. He lists five commandments. All of them have to do with our relationship with other people. Remember when I said that uh, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we look at, we call them two tables. The first three have to do with our relationship with God. The others have to do with our relationship with each other, with other people. Jesus lists five of those. He says, this is what you need to do. The the table, our relationship with other people. He says, don't murder. He says, don't commit adultery. We'll get back to that in a second. He says, don't steal. Don't be a false witness. You know, don't lie. Don't cheat. And he says, honor your mother and father, right? Well, what does Jesus leave out? It's almost more interesting to talk about that, to think about that for a second, because then Jesus comes back at him with a haymaker that really knocks this guy off his feet. He leaves out no other gods, no idols, right? He leaves out the Sabbath day, which is a gimme for almost everybody. He leaves out the Lord's name in vain, which is pretty easy to handle, too. He leaves out coveting. We're going to get back to that in a second. Because I used to think, you know, when I've broken this down before, this, this part of, of Scripture before, it always goes back to coveting. Right? It goes back to that, that rich young ruler was, was coveting. And, and that's not inherently false. But I, I believe, though, that... Um, that, that idolatry um, was a manifestation, that coveting was a manifestation of his idolatry. So he was really, he was really an idolater and didn't realize it. Um, idolatry in the Old Testament was often more blatant than, than we see here today or than he's talking about there. Uh, people literally worshipped images, and we can get back to some of the kings who actually set some of those idols up in the temple itself. You know, they, they didn't take anything out, but they just set up all these other things kind of a, you know, just in case we're going to worship this God too, just in case, because these people all around us are worshipping these things too. But it always wasn't like that. Um, and idolatry often takes, or more often takes, a more subtle, a more refined um, a more sophisticated form. And, and while we might not be worshiping these, these images, idolatry is a very real danger in our generation right here, right now, today for all of us. Although we've not made a physical image, and this, this rich young ruler didn't make a physical image, but his wealth had become his idol. Right? God says, you shall have no other gods. Um, images are other gods, but not, that's not the only form um, that other gods might take. Anything or anyone that takes the, the preeminent position in our lives, that becomes our idol. And, and that starts to become hard to take. Um, Peter says, literally, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. Luther says, an idol can be identified by this. He says, if you lose something and then just don't want to go on, that item, or whatever that was, 
is and was your idol. That gets, like I said, tough sometimes because especially if we've lost a loved one in our lives, you know, that, that can be a, a difficult situation for us to handle. Or, you know, the other way, though, is um, if we're fighting tooth and nail for, for something, for someone, for some cause, Jesus says you need to rethink your motives. That rich young ruler, um, after Jesus challenged him, uh, it says he went away sad. By the way, that's the only place in the Bible that anybody had a counter-tation with, uh, with Jesus and, and went away sad. You know, or encountered Jesus, what I was going for there. They, they went away sad. Even the demons had respect for Jesus and paid attention you know, and did what they were supposed to do. Because that's exactly what happens when we open our hearts to someone else or something else. When we don't give our hearts over to Jesus. We don't put him first in our lives. We don't trust him to handle the things of this earth. We ourselves become our own idol factories in our own lives. We are the ones that Isaiah said are manufacturing these idols. Creating things and, and creating ideas and following causes and making ideas and, and different causes and the people, making that the object of our time, making that the object of our effort, making that the object of our worship. And Luther is quick to point this out too about idols. He says, you know, Satan is behind every idol in our lives. Because God created you to have that relationship with him, and Satan does whatever he can to get you in a relationship with something else. And it doesn't matter what it's going to look like or what it is. He's going to do everything he can to coax you into worshiping anything else. He'll promise you anything and everything, and it's going to look really good. Just look what he said to Jesus. You know, he said, I'll give you the entire earth. I'll give you everything. And then parenthetically, you know, don't you think God wants that for you? Doesn't God love you? Doesn't God want all that for you? Luther writes, no matter how abominable the practice, the devil always persuades his dupes that they are serving God and doing his will. I say that I should have that on the board. No matter how abominable the practice, the devil always persuades his dupes that they are serving God and doing his will. So I'm asking you this morning, and I'm, I'm challenging you to seek God, to ask him to reveal the idols that you, I'm telling you, that you have manufactured in your lives. That book, Three Federal Crimes, you know, we've committed three federal crimes by supper time that we don't even know about. There are idols in our lives. I guarantee there are three idols in your life that you've worshipped by supper time that we're also not aware about. So we ask God to reveal those things to us. Some of the hints that he gives us, that God gives us, he says it like this. When you're devoted to an idol, looking elsewhere for satisfaction. You're looking elsewhere for satisfaction. People who are devoted to an idol say things like this. If only I could, and then fill in the blank, I would be satisfied. Right? Remember the word blessed means to be totally satisfied. If I could only what? And if anything in that blank is other than God and Jesus and Christ, then you, we're looking someplace we're not supposed to be looking. But idols inherently always end up disappointing us. 
They are always going to disappoint us. Here, I'm going to leave you with this. Whether we realize it or not, everyone is born with a desire for God and a desire for our Lord Jesus and our Savior. We're all built and born to worship. And if we haven't already done it, today, let Jesus in your heart worship Him and Him alone. And again, I just want to go back to that challenge for a second. I want you to, I'm challenging you to, to seek God, to seek His will, to ask Him point blank, wide open and vulnerable, to have Him show us the idols that we have in our lives, the ones that we've created, the ones that we've manufactured, the ones that make us that idol factory. And to put him number one in our lives. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, let's stand, please. And let's confess together what we believe in the words of the